0: So I'm so excited to um, be here with Carol Fabrizio, the Chief Communications and Marketing Officer of USA Gymnastics. Carol, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Exciting time happening in the world right now. What's it like to be, um, you know, in the, the approach, the drumbeat to the Olympics and with so much going on in the world, what's, uh, what's top of mind for you right now?
1: Yeah. Well, it would be an exciting time in a normal year, but after the year we've had of quarantine and being stuck at home, watching athletes come back and be able to compete and then see kind of Olympic dreams starting to come true. It's, uh, it's infectious. It's, it's energizing and it's kind of impossible not to root for every single one of them. So, um, it is one of the busiest, most hectic kind of hair on fire times in the industry, but it's also, uh, electrifying it's it's almost Im- impossible not to feel that buzz when you're when you're at an event so we are dead in the middle of our event season on the on the road to Tokyo so we have an event every couple weeks uh, we just had one this past weekend we have another one in two weeks for U.S. championships and then we have another one for Olympic trials that's incredible thank you for
0: uh, making the time I know it's, uh, it's sure, definitely sure. a prime time for you um so tell me a little bit about you know in your role, you have a variety of constituents mm-hmm. that you're sort of communicating with and, um, you know, staying in touch with and really thinking of. Um, tell me right now, you know, as the CMO of USA Gymnastics, what's in your remit? Like, how do you yeah. describe the role that, um, that, you're currently, that you're currently doing?
1: I oversee um, both communications and marketing and content creation. And so I, I really think about this as helping others see who we are. Right. So I I sometimes would term that as brand management, but that's that sounds a little less soulful than I want it to, right? My goal has always been to look at all the things we're doing right, help help us do things better, help us improve things from the inside out, and then kind of organically connect that to our constituents. And so whether we're doing that through communications we're writing or talking to the press or talking on podcasts or at an event, talking one-on-one with somebody, or whether we're doing that through kind of intentional brand work um, and marketing, I think it's always about that kind of organic connection between who we are and and what we believe and and making sure that that comes through to the folks on the other end.
0: And you talk about this sort of a a bottling up, if you will, of excitement, Mm -hmm. which I think we all feel, right? Like we're starting to, you know, maybe go out and and sit outdoors and eat and there's like a little bit of a break that's starting to happen. Um, But how... How have you stayed close to mm. your audiences throughout the pandemic? And like how have you shifted your approach across mm. communications and marketing to, to prepare yeah. for what's next?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And to be totally honest, I'm not, I'm not sure that I or we have always done it right. Um, it's one of those times where wow, it's, there's, it's there's, just so, yeah, and there's just so much parallel pathing going on, right? So Um, just recently we had to announce the change in venue for Olympic trials, just, you know, less than two months out from the actual event. And that, that's, you know, that's what kind of makes it out to the public. But what you don't see kind of behind the scenes is lots and lots of conversations and analysis and, um, you know, kind of, uh, Tetris to see what will all work. And so, um, it's, sometimes it's been a real challenge to make sure that we're staying uh or keeping our community up to date as much as we can because there is so much kind of behind the scenes um, trying to figure things out before we communicate. So I think, and not just for us, I think for a lot of folks, it's been this intentional, um, you know, wanting to be very intentional and almost uh final when you do communicate something, but at the same time wanting to have regular communication and keep people up to date as much as you can without giving giving them inaccurate information. And that's a really hard balance, I think, to strike right now. Um, but the organization as a whole, I think, really shifted from what we're usually doing at this time last year was preparing for Olympic trials and the Olympics and, and events. And we took almost all of our staff, right, and shifted our operations towards how can we serve our community now, when everybody's at home and Um, gyms are closed and people aren't able to train. What can we do now? And so we really started looking at, well, okay, we could provide webinars. We had everything from like, you know, helping people understand the loans that were available to training gymnastics at home without equipment. So it really ran the gamut of, of what might be helpful. And then at the same time, really trying to figure out how we could best support our athletes, whether that's through, um, you know, training or mental health resources. Um, and then surveying them, honestly, asking them what they need, what they want to do, what they don't want to do. So it was a real shift for us in, in operations, even um, ending up with with virtual events, um, so that we could still get back to some competition without kind of the in-person risk that live events hold. And so it was, it was really an innovative time for not just our organization, but a lot of organizations. Yeah, and, and I want to drill in on something that you said, which is this tension.
0: And I'll you know, I'll frame it in the context of leadership, but I think everyone's dealing it right, where you want to have the answers, you want to communicate when you have a certain amount of certainty. Yeah. Um, but if you wait till you have enough certainty, then you will be perceived as not transparent or holding mm-hmm. back. Talk about how you specifically have. Navigated that, and particularly when it comes to innovation, where you know you do have to innovate amidst amid yeah. uncertainty. You won't have perfect answers, and no yeah. one in the world has perfect answers. But you still have to go. Like, how did you? How are you moving through that?
1: Yeah. So one thing, and again, like I don't know that I always get this right, um but one thing that I really try to do is is set deadlines for communicating. What instead of letting the content drive when you communicate? Oh. So otherwise, it's like you know, three, four or five months sometimes when you're working on something and you know that you're diligently working on it, but the external communication isn't always there. And so I try to set, and again, I don't always nail this, but I try to set some deadlines around, we have to communicate on this at least once a month, even if the communication is, we don't have an update. But just to let people know, we know that it matters to you and we want to communicate on it. And so, you know, talking about Olympic trials tickets, for example, is something that we had to say a couple of times. We know folks are really anxious to hear where, um, where and what we're doing with those tickets, but we just can't get there yet. I promise you'll hear from us in the next couple of weeks to let people know they're, they're not forgotten about that, that we care about what's happening to them. And we know that they're anxious. And so sometimes just setting some deadlines for communication, even if the communication says nothing more than hold tight, we're trying, um, is, is one way to get at that. And then I, I also think, you know, in a time like this, just telling people when information is not a hundred percent, you have to be honest, right? You can't tell people, yep, it's for sure going to be this way or that way. Um, you Sometimes you have to say like, hey, these are not just subject to change in the legal way, you know, that, that language, that's always at the bottom of every ticket you've ever seen. But just to say like, hey, this is what we know now and it's tentative. And unfortunately, we can't give you more certainty right now. And just being kind of human about it on that level. And then finally, I would say, Getting over, and I think this is a problem for a lot of communicators and, and marketers. It's getting over the per- perfection. You know, you don't want to announce um, something about an event without talking about who's going to be there. But maybe we don't know who's going to be there, and so we just keep waiting until we have perfection, um, and then we have alienated a big group who's just upset that they haven't heard from us. And so sometimes we, you know, the regular and. Kind of bite size information is more important than the perfect and final and too late information. So that's, those are all kind of things I'm, I'm constantly thinking about and looking to find a, a balance on. Well, and and you think about that, you know, and I
0: think in this context you're speaking about external communications, but there's also a big part, and I know, you know, a couple of conversations I've been having have been that, you know, the chief marketing officer, the chief communications officer has also also become the internal communication leader and sort of in many ways like a chief culture officer. If there is someone in that role, how are you balancing internal with external? Yeah. teams who are also going through this and you're not together
1: like can you talk a little yeah, bit about- sure yeah that's been a real learning curve which has been exacerbated by COVID so you know it's one thing um, I came from a larger organization and there was an internal communications team and an external communications team and so you know when um, kind of sitting at the at the leadership with with other leaders in in those groups when there's a communication that needs to go out everybody just kind of goes and goes to all the constituencies that they support and so now having a much, much smaller team, admittedly, I've been caught off guard a couple of times, like, oh, I should have told the internal folks that before I went external, or we should have talked to the community about that. And so the order isn't always right. And that's been a little bit of a, a learning curve for me. Even something as simple as a reaction to a media question, when we're not putting out a release on something, but it's an important topic that somebody's asked us about. And we have responded to a journalist, but our own staff maybe hasn't heard What we're taught, what we're saying on a particular topic and making sure that they get that. And that's the kind of thing that when you're live and in person, you know, somebody walking by my office could say, Oh, hey, I I saw this quote in, in the post. Like, what was that about? Or, or why did we go that direction? And, or why couldn't we say more about this? And it could be a casual conversation. But when everything's over zoom and there's no bumping into each other, it can really be alienating or isolating from an internal perspective to not know what's going on. And so. You know, one of the things that that we tried to do was create just a channel in Zoom to to explain and talk about, you know, why we're why we're responding a certain way on certain media questions, so that at least when folks see stuff on on online articles, they can know why we're saying certain things. And then we often talk about that at all staff meetings that that are on Zoom, and just so our staff and everybody involved can stay engaged. But it is one of those things that's really hard to do because. Um, the urgency that comes with responding externally and publicly can sometimes get in front of what is core to culture, which is communicating internally. And so that is another kind of constant tension that we're, we're trying to get right.
0: Yeah. And I think also it's, do you think it's fair to say that sometimes it's hard to exactly know who knows what internally? Yeah. I think yeah. it's much easier to be like, well, I know this and yeah. we've been talking about this for days. So clearly everyone knows about it and it turns out no one knows about it, you
1: know? Yes, I. Uh, that's dead on. And I am 100% guilty of that. Sometimes when I have been in meetings about something nonstop for days, uh, you know, and I think like, well, of course everybody knows this. And so it surprises me when somebody feels kind of left out of that conversation or or surprised. And I'm like, oh, well. Um, so, so reminding yourself that that's over communicating, you know, I've, uh, I've heard that if you want people to really hear something, you've got to, you've got to tell them at least like eight or nine times. And that's like, um, of course I don't want to, I don't want to repeat myself that much, but it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good reminder.
0: And, um, and in your role, what has been the role of social media for you? Mm. And I know there's so many elements to this because you've got your athlete, yeah. you have your community, but how, how are yeah. you? Role of
1: social? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, we actually uh, just hired a new social media manager, gotcha. um, so yeah, super excited about that. Um, so social is one of those things that I think is uh, sometimes underappreciated in in a lot of um, structures uh, where uh, maybe in more traditional communication structures where people don't really realize like it is an own channel that is followed and and you know, touched on a daily basis. And so it's really our opportunity to talk to our different constituencies on a daily basis and kind of say who we are and what we care about and what we stand for. And so I think social media can do a lot of things. Um, it can, of course, keep the community updated and give fun information about events and what athletes are doing. And that is kind of, you know, bare minimum in my eyes because I think social media can do so much more than that. I think it can help bring a brand voice to life I think it can be a customer service channel, answering questions about events or ticketing or what's happening. Um, it can be a way to show your values and other things you care about. You know, um, one of the things that's been really important to us is um we really want to to highlight all of the disciplines of gymnastics, not not just the ones that people usually hear about. And so that's something that we can bring forward in, in social. And you know, we're still building that muscle, but it's a really important value for us. Um, and so it's just such an opportunity to show who you are in a place that is really kind of engaging and fun, and um I think it takes a certain amount of strategy and and skill to do that well, and so we're definitely trying to to grow that skill and learn a little bit more about how we can do that with with our constituencies
0: yeah, and and I noticed i mean your title merges like PR and communications with marketing um, mm-hmm. and that's I know in a lot of organizations something that is traditionally mm-hmm. been kept separate was that mm-hmm. was that a conscious mm-hmm. sort of decision to bring those worlds together what's that been
1: yeah add? yeah so so it is um kind of always been that way since I've been on board so I, I can't speak to why they made the decision in this case but what I can say about why I think it's more connected here than it may be in some other areas like Um, in, in former positions that I've had where communications and marketing are, are treated kind of very separately. Um, you know, especially in a kind of consumer facing way, um, marketing can a lot of times be about driving revenue, right? And, and, um, about conversion and very technical marketing funnels and figuring out exactly how, you know, to retarget. And that's with, with what we do, um, I think marketing is more on the brand marketing side of you know who we are and explaining kind of what gymnastics is and and what our organization is and is going to be in the future. And so it's a lot more, I think, kind of reputational and and heart and value driven like communications tends to be. And so there's a, I think a lot of overlap in um in that community. You know, we're a mission-driven organization. And so Our brand and our values are not just part of what we communicate, but they're how we market too. And so, I think there's a a much closer connection here than you might see in, say, um, a a consumer product company.
0: And you, so I'd love to talk now a little more about your background. So I -hmm. I learned, I think, when we last chatted or confirmed rather, that we both share the um, either the good fortune or the misfortune of having started (laughs) out. Okay. Uh, we can decide on that perhaps when, uh, when we're able to <laughs> chat in person, but that's, that's not for today. Um, tell me a little bit about how you kind of paved your pathway mm. to now, you know, be in this incredible role at this, you know, I think pretty important um, point for the organisation. It's a really important time in history because mm. of, you know, what the world has gone through. What, what was your pathway to, to your current role?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for the question. I, I actually, I did start out as a lawyer. Um, I loved law school. Um, I did not, I did not grow up thinking oh, I wanted to be a. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fascinating. Um, and I, you know, I, I was part of kind of moot court, which is like, you know, fake appellate law. And yeah. I love that you had to argue both sides of something, right? You had to kind of shut off one part of you and step into the other party's shoes. And even though in law that ends up being a very adversarial process it actually is a great developer of empathy, right? Because, and that's not at all what you think of when you think of the legal profession. But what I loved about that is that you're literally forced to kind of step in to another person's shoes and then be a zealous advocate for them. And so I think if we thought of ourselves more uh, in that fashion in day-to-day life, um, especially when we have conflict with somebody else, um, we could all be a little bit better off. Um, So I love that training. It was super helpful um, in a number of ways. But but ultimately, I, I was at a law firm and I was doing um, kind of transactional work that was intellectually super interesting. Um, but I also knew that I I kind of wanted to be at a more mission driven place and and really focus on uh, one client that I could really get behind. And so I ended up going in house for a client, uh, Bale Resorts, where I spent um, nine wonderful years. And they are very much a mission driven organization. The experience of a lifetime. And so um, I was in-house counsel there for five years and I loved it. I felt like the kind of relationship building liaison role that in-house counsel plays was definitely more my style and and lended itself more to my strengths than than kind of the outside expert, you know, hired gun counsel. And so I love that. Um, And after five years, I got the opportunity to be chief of staff to the CEO there and, uh, the role had not existed before I, before I got it. So I got to kind of create a new role. And, um, I, you know, I've, I've said this before, but for me, that was like a, a kind of cracking open of, of my career and how I, even the identity of how I saw myself and what I could do. And, um, it was fascinating. It was one of the best opportunities I, I could ever ask for. So I, I got to work with the CEO there, um, very closely for a few years. And then because the role was always meant to be rotational. We kind of kept our eyes open for what would I go into next? And, um, the former lead for communications decided to retire. And, uh, this, so there was an opening and communications was something that while I didn't have the formal training, I really felt called to it. It's something that I worked on a lot, um, as chief of staff. It's, um, words and word choice and, and how we kind of communicate on a daily basis, kind of the little c communications, not the, the big C. Profession communications. Um, but I, I love that. And so I got to lead that organization. And to be honest, I got to learn from all the people that were on the team about what, what big C communications is, right? The, the actual function and, um, and how to do that work. And, and I got to learn from a lot of really talented people who, um, I was lucky enough to be on a team with. And so I, I was doing that for a while. Um, had a baby in the middle of it and then came back and, um, was, was asked to take on marketing operations, which was, I, th- I think both the organizational effort and a kind of cultural effort. And it was, it was awesome way to kind of use a different skill set. And so I did that, um, for a little while as well before ultimately moving to my current role overseeing communications and marketing. So it seems like a little bit of a winding path, but for me, everything's kind of been about like, what's the next right step and what's energizing. And exciting to me now, and um, and is it you know a skill set I can build? Can I learn? And so it's been it's been a great ride. And what do you um,
0: throughout that? What do you view as the most influential decision that you've made? Oh,
1: that is that is a big question. That's a huge question. Um, what is the most influential decision I made? Actually, you know what? I would say raising my hand for the chief of staff job. And the reason I say that is because. When I um, was a lawyer, I, you know, I was very good at kind of following rules my my whole life. That's what I did. And I felt like, you know, I, I even when I went in house, I was a little bit of a rule break. Um, but then I knew that if I worked really hard, maybe one day I could be in the running for general counsel. And, um, and so I think raising my hand for that, which was kind of a visible application process um, for me it was like, I knew that I was really putting myself out there and being vulnerable in a way of saying like, I think I can do more than the lane that I've been in. And, um, and that's, that is vulnerable and it, and it was scary for me. And so I think that in doing that, whether or not I got the job, actually, the job was itself, um, kind of an amazing opening, but I think for me, the raising my hand part and saying, I want to do this was um probably the most influential decision because it, it, I convinced myself that I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, And this was the the next right thing.
0: So, so I want to dig in on that because I think there's a lot of people both, you know, early in their careers who are recent grads, but, you know, also I think many professionals who um, have achieved a lot in their careers, who are wondering, you know, who are actively assessing where they are and thinking Mm -hmm. about what's right for them. How did you get the courage to step into something that was completely new knowing that you're already on a pathway everyone around you identified you probably as great in this current role and then suddenly it's like this left field thing that you're going for like what what does that actually take to do
1: yeah yeah um so you know to be totally honest it's something I don't know that I would ever have done if I had not been married to my wife um she is like where I came from a place of kind of like fear and never wanting to raise my hand for something I didn't know I I wouldn't, I would get right. So like, unless I knew I was going to win the race, I'm not running it, <laughs> or at least do really well. And um Jill, my wife is the kind of person that sets really big audacious goals. And uh, at least to the outside person, maybe never looks like she actually cares about whether or not she gets them or, or what people are going to say if she doesn't. And it is really liberating to kind of say like, why? Like, why would that matter? Just, just do what you think is right for you and not worry so much about that. And so, um, that was part of, I think the, the inspiration for me is just seeing that. And then I think like maturing really just over time, getting more and more comfortable being my authentic self and, um, and, you know, kind of knowing that whether or not I got that job or some other job or whatever, it actually doesn't mean anything about my worth as a human. And so, um, the more you kind of mature and know that in your soul, it's a little, it's a little less risky to raise your hand because you you know it's not um, about your your worth, and so that just takes years. I think I didn't feel that confident about it at the time, but in retrospect, I know that those are kind of a couple of things that really helped me kind of make that choice.
0: No, oh, that's incredibly helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and if if you could go back and give yourself career advice at the start of your career
1: what would that advice be? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. You know, I think that um, if I could give my younger self career advice, if I was talking to other people, it's one thing, if I'm talking to myself, um, it would probably be to worry less about what other people think of you and worry more about what you think of you. And I think the reason I say that is because when you are, when you're kind of the straight A student, or you you're used to being good at things, you it's really easy to mold yourself into what your boss or your boss's boss or whoever wants you to be. And then when it's not so clear what being a good student is anymore, like when you have ten bosses, like an entire executive committee, or you know, kind of the higher up you go, and it's not clear like who's going to give you a gold star, you have to kind of look at yourself and say. It actually doesn't matter what this one other person thinks as much as it matters what I think. And I think that's a lesson that took me a really long time to learn. Um, and if, so if I could, if I could tell myself one thing, it would be, you know, focus less on impressing other people and and more on impressing yourself. I feel like
0: that's so helpful and to tie into sort of what you're talking about, about knowing yourself and knowing yeah. what the strengths are, right? It's it's almost like everything that you do has these external validations and when they go away, yeah. it's like...
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. It's hard to let that go, you know, um, yeah. and to not think keep sure. thinking it.
0: Yeah, and they talk about, you know, something that really high-performing students sometimes struggle with in the world, which is like this tyranny of being really great at something, yeah become very risk averse at sort of failing or yes. doing something where you're not going to be star performer because your identity is so bound up in
1: that yes that's right and it's almost like I think about that now because I have a son and I'm like constantly telling him how great he is and I'm like Ugh, I need mean, you know that's it's not that I don't want him to think he's great I hope he does think he's great but I also want him to know that he can fail and he's still just as great and he can fail over and over and over again, and he can be very frustrated. And that doesn't mean he's any less of an awesome kid. And so it's like, you can see how that kind of happens now as a, as a parent, you're like, I'm like, re-seeing it. And it's um, it's very eye-opening. You're in this role
0: leading communications and marketing. If you were to define yourself, um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the spectrum is, um, you know, data-led, Creative or ideas inspired, and maybe the other end of the spectrum is, um, you know, is the opposite of just being very sort of ideas led and potentially data backed. Where are yeah. you on the spectrum? How do you? Describe
1: mm. That is a great question where I am on that spectrum because I think that um, sometimes when we talk about particularly things that communications impacts, like um, culture and what kind of reputation and things that we think you can't measure one of One of the things that you know we've been t- trying to do more of is is measure that, measure you know where we are. um and so that's that's an important piece of it. So I would say it's kind of what I want to know what the comparison is. Like if I'm comparing myself to a consumer product company, I'm probably way more towards the ideas and kind of softer side of things mm-hmm. as I'm comparing myself to to a lot of um Kind of mission-driven communications organizations. I probably am more on the data side, so I guess it depends on. I'm I'm lawyering this answer so hard, but um, I think it depends on what the comparison is. But I think I, you know, I like to be able to back up whatever we're doing and and see if it's working. Um, Which means that you have to have data. You you can't just have gut because we're all emotional beings, and your your gut and your you know, kind of what you think is going to change based on your own kind of confirmation bias and what you think is happening and your own lens. And so having data to back up what's, what's happening um, really for people is is something that's kind of necessary in this work. So um, that's kind of, that's kind of my perspective, but not a clear answer.
0: That's helpful. Um, And what's the first brand, um, that made a big impact on you? And it, does that in any way impact how you market and how you communicate
1: today? That is such a great question. Um, the first brand that made an impact on me, I don't i do not know if I could go back to first. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, but can, right. yeah, yeah. But I can say um, some of the brands that have really stood out to me, uh, I almost, you know, uh, well, in a number of different ways. So I'm, I'm not always saying I would want to emulate any of them, but they have definitely made me think um so patagonia right is a great example of how they how they drive uh, especially in the outdoor world um they lead with values and that's that's very very clear um and then some brands like target for example has taken some values driven stands on things and that has really kind of um woken uh, folks up to what what they stand for even though that's not something that they always do ben and jerry's is in that category as well and so um to me, the the brands that can speak authentically about who they are and what they believe. And that comes through, particularly from their employees um, in, in what they're kind of posting or sharing or talking about, those are the brands that have had the the biggest impact on me. And and it does change the way I consume things or I buy things. And so it's hard for me not to turn that around and say, like, yeah, when there's when there's brand trust um or value alignment between me and a brand, it's gonna make me a lot more likely to be loyal to them, whether that's, you know, a, a sporting organization or a consumer product organization. So that's definitely always in the back of my mind. Yeah. And I
0: mean, a lot of research, and even something that we ran recently also showed that many consumer groups, even younger consumers are even willing to pay more. Yeah. and put up. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. That- that's, a- that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. It's, and it's a, it's an increasing trend. And right. so that's something where I think even in the more, um, database marketing companies, not losing that heart of values, which again, is harder to um, it's harder to measure. And so sometimes because it's harder to measure, it gets kind of dropped from the from the rubric. And I think that part's a mistake as well. Because that is something that we know people are increasingly um, more and more willing to spend um, money and even more money on things that align with their values in a way that was not true um, decades ago. And part of that, I think, is the it, going back to social media is the increased interconnectivity of the entire world. It is really hard to just come up with what you want your brand to look like and, and stand for and then put it out there and hope nobody asks any more questions. You know, everything's too connected now. So exactly. it to, it's, yeah, it has to be true. It has to be true. And um, and so I think that that's like that's something that um, consumers now and increasingly younger consumers are more and more aware of.
0: Yeah, and along those lines, and, and last question for you, Carol, um, along those lines, what do you feel the role that USA Gymnastics has to play or can play um, in a lot of the social issues that came to the fore in 2020? Like, can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking sure. about and just
1: yeah.
0: other important community uh, ideas?
1: Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that question. I appreciate that. Um, it's something, you know, we really, we really talked about as a leadership team because last summer with everything going on with, with COVID, um, and the really the kind of, um, social and racial justice reckoning that we were seeing and the murder of George Floyd, like all of, all of these incidents came a- around the same time. And really we were at the same time reviewing our mission and values and what was the most important to us. And we did, we talked a lot about like how important is it? how much should we say or not say on these topics? Because I do think that's something that kind of a, maybe an older school mentality is to, um, is to not talk about things that may be considered, you know, political air quotes. Oh, yeah, right. Um, but, but I do think it's important to um, when you, you know, when you have a stand on an issue and when it's connected to your, your mission and values that you have to do that. And so for us, Safety for, for a lot of reasons is our top value. And it's something we always come back to as this has to be our guiding light in everything we do. And so when we talked about what safety means, safety for us is not just about being free from physical harm or abuse, um, which of course it includes that, but safety is also about psychological safety. And so if we have a world where, you know, the, the kind of, um, terrorizing that has, has happened, um, you know, can can be part of um, part of what people are facing every day, or, or they don't feel psychologically safe for whatever reason. If if there's not an inclusive community, that can feel not psychologically safe. So there there are so many pieces of that that go into safety. And so we really thought that talking about issues of racial justice and diversity, equity, inclusion are are kind of core to creating safety, and um, so we did decide to be vocal about it because it directly aligns with our values, and um, and and it is sometimes polarizing. And I totally understand that you know not everybody is going to agree with um, with a stand that we or any other company takes. But you have to do what's what's aligned with your values um, because you know you've got to go with what's guiding your ship. So yeah. that's-
0: No, I was just going to say, and I think. I I think there was a big, I love how you put it as a social reckoning because that's pretty much the best way to describe it. And I do think that whereas consumers sort of understood that many brands were going to be silent on things in the past, I feel like they don't like that now. I feel like silence in many respects is is not something that a consumer appreciates and consumers want to know what brands stand for. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily the safe choice anymore either. Yeah
1: yeah and you know I think um one of the one of the things that has kind of come up is like the way we look at that, whether you know um any company looks at that, I think it can be it can be a kind of a safe thing like we have to talk about this or our consumers are going to be upset but i I think that maybe the better way or or a different way to look at it is that it's an opportunity to show who you are in these moments where it can be so polarizing um but can also be so meaningful to people and so um and i by no means mean to seem opportunistic but it is in a sense a way to say hey this is where we stand on something that if it's not kind of socially um relevant at the moment it, it may not be as uh, uh um visible but because it is you have an opportunity to say where where you fall on something and so in that sense it's um i think that we have we as companies have an opportunity to kind of put our our platforms to use and and help drive things that we think are are beneficial for our communities um and really the world oh
0: i love that well that's that's a perfect place i think to hold Um, so excited i mean best of luck in in the coming weeks what an exciting time such a pleasure to speak with you carol
1: yeah thanks so great to speak with you